Good to have you here on this Wednesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get to on the show. We'll talk some Georgia football with Dane Young, UGASports.com. We will uh, we'll chat with him about Georgia and Charleston Southern. Also look ahead to potential playoff matchups because barring uh, something unforeseen happen, happening in the last two weeks against an FCS team and a team that uh, is not very good uh, in Georgia Tech with just three wins, you're going to be in the playoff, and you can uh, start to look ahead to that. Also, uh, Rich Stiles will join us. host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. You've got the PGA Tour along the coast this week on uh, the Sea Island Golf Course on St. Simons Island for the RSM Classic. We'll talk to him about that. Also, Nick De La Torre of Gators Territory and the Stadium and Gale co- uh, podcast. We'll talk to him about Florida having to put up 70 to beat uh, Sanford after giving up uh, 52, and also the Gators with Missouri and Florida State coming up down the stretch. How hot is that seat for Dan Mullen? We'll ask him about that. Also, Drew Cronick, head football coach at Mercer. We'll hear from him. As Mercer with a chance to win the Southern Conference outright this weekend with a win over East Tennessee State. That is for whoever wins that will be the Southern Conference champion to get the auto bid into the FCS playoffs. So that will be huge, obviously, for Mercer uh, since returning the program back in 2013 to be able to pull that off and get into the FCS playoffs. So he'll join us coming up in the final hour. And Troop Talk returns uh, again this week. Ben sits down with former All-SEC uh, guard for Tennessee and a uh, long time uh, with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Ramon Foster. I uh, will join Ben for Troop Talk coming up in the final hour of the program. So plenty to get to. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com, and live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So your chance to join us, send us a comment, your thought there as well. But we get the college football playoff rankings last night. Not a whole lot to get upset about. I don't think uh, BJ and Ben, you got Georgia, Bama, Oregon, Ohio State. They all won. You figured they were going to stay there. Cincinnati stays at five. Michigan at six. Michigan State seven. Notre Dame slides up to eight. Uh, You know, Oklahoma State now uh, comes into the chat uh, there as they've got uh, Texas Tech this week, but finish up with Oklahoma. A couple of wins there and a Big 12 championship might Oklahoma State put their name up into the discussion at least towards the end of the year and say, look, just a one-loss team. I think they would have lost by two to Iowa State. Uh, That being their only loss, looked better at the time to have a close loss to Iowa State than it does now, but... That will be their only loss. So things could still get interesting if a bunch of teams finish with one loss or, in Cincinnati's case, no losses here in the next two, three weeks. Yes, and I think when you look at the college football playoff rankings, and and, and Kevin, you're right, not a whole lot of change, especially at the top. It's looking at it for what could happen, not what currently is. And I know, Kevin, you've long said, hey, we always get very nervous and we always – talk about these hypotheticals in mid-November, but then when the season is finished, normally the poll makes a little more sense. Now, we'll see if that happens this season, but if you look at the poll right now, barring Alabama losing to Arkansas and Auburn, number one and number two are going to play each other in the SEC championship. Number four still has to play number six. They're going to play each other, and Ohio State, uh, you're talking about you have to play number six and number seven, I believe. So you're talking about you're talking about a couple of showcase games for Ohio State. Um, Notre Dame would be the team to keep an eye on, and and I know they're at eight. They kind of feel like they're on the outside looking in and not really re- 
relevant, but you have just one loss. It's to Cincinnati, who's ahead of you. But I think theoretically, for as much as people probably don't want to see Notre Dame in the college football playoff, if, let's say, theoretically, again, uh, Georgia beats Alabama, I've seen some speculation, could they still get in? That would be a big surprise to me. Uh, and maybe maybe they should still have an argument, but I don't think the reality here is that if Alabama loses to Georgia to go along with they lost to Texas A&M, who, oh, by the way, lost on Saturday, uh, if you have two of those, I don't think they're getting in. Let's say Ohio State drops one of those games, and maybe the Big Ten kind of cancels itself out with some of those teams there at the top. I think Notre Dame could quietly move up. And, Ben, when I look at this poll right now, a lot of football left. Remember, everybody else has a conference championship game to play and worry about a bonus game. Notre Dame does not have that. So I think there's a chance Notre Dame could kind of sit back and watch. I'm not saying they get in, but I think given the matchups that are scheduled for the regular season and then the conference title games, I think there's a chance Notre Dame could be a whole lot closer to that top four in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and BJ, that's what that's what that's what uh, <clears throat> that's what got to be disappointing if you are you know, a Cincinnati team, because you're saying to yourself, okay, we added Notre Dame to the schedule, beat Notre Dame. We don't have the brand equity. We don't have the national appeal. Uh, we don't have, we, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have people speaking. Because I was always told, what do people outside of your fan base, outside of your team say about you? Well, for Cincinnati, that's nothing. People don't say anything. For Notre Dame, BJ, sometimes we forget how big. Listen, Alabama is the best brand of football, not named Georgia. The biggest brand is Notre Dame. And because, because they get to function on their own, you know what, uh, listen, we function outside of the ACC, we, even with a loss, the team that we lost to is number five in the country. So when you think about it, Notre Dame has the best loss of every team still in it, not named, obviously, Ohio State because they lost to Oregon. When you think about it, but this is the thing too, BJ, I, Alabama is the wild card, though, because everybody's just chopping it up that if Alabama loses to Georgia <coughs> excuse me, in the NCAA championship game, they're out. Well, that's what you say. So Alabama is the wild card. Cincinnati sitting there, sitting there at five. Notre Dame is the brand, you know, the brand name. I think when you're Ohio State and Oregon, you're gonna do what you need to do as far as like to win out because that's your only path to it. But could a potential two-loss Alabama still get in? Because this is what I, this is why I say that. Who's gonna say anything of relevance to people? Oh, that's because BJ. I know we need I, and Kevin. This is what we need to stop doing. Either we're doing a blind taste test for 2021, I'm not looking back at 2020, 2018, 2019, or every time we say we're in Cincinnati, we're not looking at it just this year. If Alabama, who has the greatest benefit of doubt, there is, loses to Georgia, and it's not going to be on the last second field goal, if they lose to Georgia, could they still potentially get in? Because like you said, BJ, which I'm coming around with it, Alabama lost to Texas A&M, they're still a better team than Texas A&M. They just lost to them that day. If you lose to the number one team in the country, ain't nobody going to, you know, bad eye about it. So I think that for me, Cincinnati sitting there at five makes things interesting because I don't think they're going to move up because they don't have the brand equity, not because of the brand of football. If Alabama loses to Georgia, they can still potentially get in. And I forgot all about Notre Dame, which I shouldn't. I don't know what in the world uh, I'm forgetting about them. So Notre Dame, with that one loss still out there, you got, you know, you got number one playing number two. You still got some big games down the stretch in these last – you know, three or four weeks of the season, but if but don't don't discount the fact that if Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, could they still potentially put those guys in? 
I, look, I, I think Alabama has to win out. That, that's, that's, again, if everybody stays the same with one loss, as many one-loss teams are have, Alabama loses again, they're out. Uh, again, because I think you're going to have a hard time explaining that, why there's a bunch of one-loss teams potentially undefeated in Cincinnati, and Alabama still gets in. Now, stranger things have happened and all that, but I just don't see that happening. I think you would need a bunch of those teams to go by the wayside, much like uh, Adam Fisher weighed in on Facebook, saying no way a two-loss Bama gets in over a more deserving one-loss team. A lot of other one-loss teams would have to lose first. I agree with that. Uh, that's why I think a lot of people are saying Alabama's got to win out uh, to get in there. And, again, I think even with one loss, they've already shown with one loss they're better than every other one-loss team uh, out there in the, in the committee's eyes, BJ and Ben. So I, I think that one's pretty much set and done. Yeah, in theory, and there are a lot of theoretical possibilities here that are that are that are difficult to kind of address. But I I think in theory, I would be open to the idea of a two-loss team getting in over a one-loss team because I think you have to look at strength of schedule and values of wins and losses and all that. But I also am talking about what I think will happen. And Kevin, uh, I'm I'm trying to take Ben the college football playoff committee at their word. And if you go to the website, the leading kind of the, the starting point when you talk about evaluation on their website is conference champion. It's being a conference champion. And if Alabama loses, not only will they have two losses, they will not have necessarily the same number of kind of truly signature wins that they normally have. They would also not be a conference champion. So I think if Alabama loses to Georgia, and in theory, I think losing to the number one team in the country – isn't really a loss. I mean, that's losing. You can you can have a better performance in a losing effort to the number one team in the country than a winning effort over an unranked team. And I think that's kind of one of the challenges of evaluation here. But I do not think Alabama, if they lose to Georgia, even if it's close, will get in because the Texas A&M loss, now that they just lost to Ole Miss, Texas A&M not quite as high in the national polls. You would not be a conference champion and quite frankly, you haven't had the normal dominance that you've seen from Alabama. Uh, it, now, now, if Bama beats Georgia, of course they're in. But, Ben, I mean, Florida has had a rough couple of weeks. If Alabama loses by a field goal, when you're, when you're evaluating the resume of Alabama, do you look and say, well, they only beat Florida by two points. And Florida may not even make a bowl game. So, I think, and, and what Adam chimed in on Facebook, I think if Alabama loses to Georgia – I do not think they would get in, and I think what we're looking at right now, that would be the right call. I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there because I mean, like I said, you got some, you got some brands that you know shape, you know, kind of, kind of like shape college football as a whole. Kevin and BJ, I mean, Notre Dame shapes it, Alabama is it, and Cincinnati. Well, welcome to the party, but you're not going to move any farther. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that Alabama is definitely going to get in, but I, what I am saying is, if they do, what they're going to find a way to validate. Putting them in. So, once again, um, Georgia being undefeated helps them because they did not get no help in the SEC East this year at all. Alabama, I mean, they didn't get – I mean, what, Ole Miss is, uh, what, two losses, but everybody else seems to be kind of like understanding they're already bowl eligible. They're kind of, you know, losing more games down the stretch. But this is why we watch. And once again, until the, until it is, it, it, uh, until the college football playoff committee expands it, teams like Cincinnati uh, – Baylor and uh, take TCU back in the day, uh, UCF. They're going to be on the outside looking in, not because of not because of their brand of football, because of their brand. Period. 
you got to have a big enough brand because let's face it, Kevin and BJ, the reason why they don't want to tell us why they, quote, picked last four, because they don't want to show us how biased they are. No, show us how biased we are and how we look at certain teams. We say, oh, that's just this and that's just that right now. Cincinnati is just the Bearcats. They are not Cincinnati, a, a big enough brand uh, to have that brand equity nationally. And so until it goes to, what, six or eight, Kevin and BJ, they're going to find themselves on the outside looking in. Again, we're going to see how this thing continues to play out. A lot of big football games uh, mm-hmm. that we're going to see head-to-head amongst those teams in the top ten uh, still to come down the stretch. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Dane Young, UGASports.com, will join us. you got the audio from uh, Kirby at halftime of the uh, the Florida game getting out there. Uh, we'll talk to Dane about that. And, of course, these final two ball games, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech, as Georgia prepares for the SEC Championship and, most certainly, the college football playoff. This is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you are with us here on this Wednesday. A lot to get to still on the show, but Georgia getting ready for Charleston Southern this weekend, and uh, certainly looking ahead towards the SEC Championship potential playoff matchups out there as well. And I know a lot of uh, social media making the rounds. Some audio from Kirby at halftime there uh, at Florida got a lot of folks uh, listening to that as well. Dane Young, UGASports.com steps in. To talk about all of that, Dane, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. Are you surprised that the uh, the Kirby stuff uh, kind of got as big as it to me? And we were talking about it. You know, been playing at Florida, and some, look, that's that's locker room stuff to get teams fired up. I mean, uh, what was your kind of reaction when uh, it kind of got out there and everybody started commenting on it? Did we lose you? Think we may have lost. I, we had you there for a second, Dane. Can you hear us? We'll try to get him back uh, here on. Having a problem uh, hearing him uh, there, but obviously you had the the audio. Ben Kirby uh, getting, well, we'll say, fired up there at Florida. Say, hey, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna we're gonna physically break them. We're gonna break them. We're gonna make them quit. I mean, that's stuff that happens. In college football. I know, I mean, obviously, people say, well, what about the language? Well, I mean, that's also college football, right? I mean, that, uh, that's that's stuff that happens. Uh, and, again, people, it gets out and people start reacting one way or another. I'm like, uh, that's a guy, if you've watched Kirby Smart uh, from Alabama and his time at uh, Georgia, that that's his personality, right? I mean, that, you should expect that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say that, Kevin. Like, any, most people have never, obviously, either heard Kirby Smart at a press conference, seen him coach on the sideline, or know him at all, like – I've seen Kirby Smart. He's a fiery. He's a fiery coach. He he is a he is the epitome of a fiery coach. When you're talking about college football, and you see the way his team plays, he says it is zero zero. It, you know we want to go out there. We want to break them. I would hope that he says that. I would hope that he feels that way about his team. We have gotten we have gotten beside ourselves as far as like you know uh, just lovers of college football and just viewers of the game when we start saying, wait a minute, did you hear what he said? Yeah. Sound like he meant it. Yes, he means everything he says. And when you think about the way Georgia plays, they play like that. They play like they're trying to break the soul and the will of the team they're playing. So I don't, I don't. That's just normal twenty. That's normal football one on one from a fiery coach who wants to make sure his team never ever takes one play, one second of the game for granted. I don't care what's against my Florida Gators. Yeah. Again, well, I believe we've got uh, Dane Young back here on the show. Uh, Dane, welcome back to uh, to three and out. How are you? 
Man, I'm well. Uh, apologies for whatever phone connection happened there. It wasn't as good of a recording as uh, what Kirby Smart had in that locker room, I guess. <laughs> I guess not. Well, what was your reaction to it? Again, we kind of went around uh, the show here. It's kind of thought it wasn't any any big deal, really. Uh, are, are you surprised it kind of got as much uh, steam out there as it did? Well, I think I've talked to a couple of former players, and their reaction was, got out. However, fired up about what he said. I mean, that, that happens in a locker room. Like, anyone, I haven't seen a single person that's like, oh, the language is anything like that. Um, they, they were fired up to go beat Florida, and it's a physical game, and, and that's what happened. Overall, I think people are excited to get a glimpse into what that locker room is like. Dane, is there any uh, account for kind of where that came from or, or kind of where the, where the recording was um, leaked from at this point? I haven't seen anything. The, the only thing that I saw, SEC Network was there, and they were recording. Um, don't know if it came from anyone involved in that. Otherwise, it'd have to be from within the program at Georgia. They, they keep tabs on who's in there. I, I'll tell you this. It won't be a fun day for whoever it is, and that's found out. I mean, obviously, you know, when it comes to a guy like Kirby Smart, he's a fiery guy. If you go back to when he played at Georgia, he was probably a fiery player. Why do people get so, you know, uh, beyond themselves when they when they see a coach not just being fiery but showing emotion to his players? <laughs> because they're not as competitive as he is. I mean, that's the one thing I listen to, and I'm like, you know, I – I'm not as competitive about anything in this world as that man is about probably anything, but especially football. So, like, like so, like, there's a different level, right, that you have to get your mind to to, to go through that process. It's an unnatural thing, so it requires some unnatural energy. And Kirby Smart has it; he's passionate about it. And I to see what it takes to get yourself to that level. I think you appreciate it. You live in the moment. And look, the other thing is. What if what if intentionally was leaked for some recruiting purposes? I, I'm not willing to. Very smart. Didn't know this would get out there. I have no idea. Yeah, going to be interesting uh, to see how that goes. But Dane, to the field. Georgia's got Charleston Southern this weekend. Obviously, that's another tune-up uh, week. Uh, how do you think Georgia uses this week? Is it uh, to get uh, get Stetson on and off the field? Get some of those key guys out. Let J T. Daniels, some guys, get some reps. Maybe even get down into the Carson Becks. And Brock Vandegrift's here who haven't played a whole lot and maybe still have a couple of games left on that four games that they can play. What's kind of the mindset for Georgia this week and how's, how they approach Charleston Southern? It's all the above. It's get healthy. It's avoid uh, potential injuries going forward. But you have to remember there's some youth on the offensive line, especially that continues to, to gel together. Uh, Cedric Van Pran, I know he's been the starter uh, virtually all season since Tate Ratlitz went down against Clemson. Uh, but he's still relatively new, so you want to get him reps uh, against another defense. Broderick Jones at left tackle. If Jamari Sawyer's not back, I, I don't think that they'll rush Sawyer back until Georgia Tech. Um, and so that's another young guy. He, he played really well last week against Tennessee. Uh, beyond that, you know, you're looking at receivers that have come back in recent weeks with Jermaine Burton and Karis Jackson being fully healthy, getting them back you know, in the timing. Uh, the main thing with this week, get in, get out, be healthy. Dane, how impressive has it been to you that Georgia's been able to not only climb to number one in the polls, but affirm that every single week? I mean, you're winning by 17, 24, 30 every single week. How remarkable has that consistency been? 
it, it's been remarkable in the sense of the adversity that the teams had to go through. So the Adam Anderson off the field stuff, George Pickens didn't even make it into the season before an injury. You had four wide receivers go out, two offensive linemen. Uh, George has just shown that depth that Kirby Smart has generated on this roster is the reason that they're in championship contention right now. Uh, but there are a couple other plays, you know, things that play here, too. It, it's a relatively easy schedule. Georgia has not had to be tested overall. Um, the SEC is tough, yes, but the East is, is the easier side than the West. Um, Clemson, you know, they, they survived that game and kind of built momentum from there. Stetson Bennett is better than he was last year, uh, and so that made the quarterback situation a little easier when JT Daniels went down. Um, and, and beyond that, you look around college football, and I look at this with the Heismaners too. There aren't like super elite teams, and, and Georgia, I think, is as close to that as anything this year. But there's not an Alabama from last year or LSU from the year prior. Um, this, this is kind of a, a very balanced year in college football, where I don't see the, the superpower involved in this. And if there is one, it's, it's Georgia. How much have a guy? How much has Stetson Bennett meant to this team? Not just this year. But last year, obviously, it's always going to be. He doesn't have the measurables. He's not six foot two. But the guy just, you know, he, he's available. He goes out there and gets it done. He's not going to necessarily light up the box score, not because he can't, but because he doesn't have to. What is it, what is going to be Stetson Bennett's, uh, you know, the memories of him, even though they still got some games to go and what he's meant to this team the last couple of years? You know, it's probably been tough for, for him and his family just because, like, everyone says, oh, he doesn't have the measurables. He was a walk-on. He's not a walk-on anymore, obviously. Um, there's a lot of chatter that goes along when you're the starting quarterback at Georgia, especially when a lot of people think you shouldn't be the starting quarterback at Georgia. And I think that he's handled that so gracefully. Uh, and I think, man, he, he's an athlete. He's a really good athlete, and he's a good quarterback, and there's a lot of teams in college football that would love to have him. His legacy is going to be built over the next few weeks, right? If, if he goes and leads Georgia to its first national championship since 1980, he automatically goes down as one of the best quarterbacks in Georgia history just for having gone through that gauntlet that so many of the teams could not do. And then when you add in his personal story to it, I mean, a lot of people say that there's going to be a movie out of this guy's story if it ends up that way. And, um, you know, this is a family that loves Georgia. His parents have been season ticket holders for 25 years. Uh, so, so it would be quite a story uh, for, for the state as a whole, but especially for, you know, your guys' area as well. Dane Young, UGASports.com, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Dane, I know Kirby and the company won't look ahead, but, I mean, the way it's stacking up, you've got Charleston Southern this week, a three-win Georgia Tech team uh, next week. Uh, it pretty much is assumed, even if they were to lose in the SEC championship game, they're still in the playoff uh, at this point. Who are some of the playoff matchups you think Georgia might square off against? And uh, if, if you're Georgia, who would be the best team you'd kind of want to face in the semifinals? I think every team, if you look at how results have played out, would want to play Cincinnati if they were to find their way in there. And you would think if Cincinnati did, it would be at that fourth spot. So, you know, if Georgia were to win in the SEC championship, perhaps that happens. Uh, You already played them last year uh, up in the Peach Bowl, and that was a tight game. I mean, that that was a game that Georgia needed, you know, to the very last second was Jack Palesny's game-winning kick. Uh, but I, I think Georgia's a little bit better this year. I don't know that Cincinnati's playing as well as they did at that point last year. Uh, when you look at other teams, you know, I look at it, and I, I think Georgia would like its chances, assuming you know Alabama wouldn't be a rematch immediately, uh, however that would turn out. I think Ohio State's the only one you're looking at and you're saying that that's the one I'm probably afraid of. 
because the offense at Ohio State has the potential to be as explosive as anything else in the country. I don't think other teams – like, I don't see Oregon's offense matching up well against Georgia's defense. Uh, so, I think Georgia matches up pretty well with, with most teams that would potentially play. Dane, a couple of regular season games left here for the Dogs. Uh, finally, where, where does Kirby Smart still want to see improvement? Where does Georgia still have to get better, if, if anywhere? Pass protection is a big deal. It's one reason that Stetson Bennett has remained the starter this whole time, uh, especially at the guard position. So I, I think some continuity needs to, to happen there to sure up the, the pass protection. And, you know, some teams, Tennessee, uh, you saw it with Florida in the first quarter. Uh, Stetson was running around for his life. But uh, I do think that Stetson is probably better when he is on the run. And so maybe he should just do that, you know, more frequently anyway. Uh, maybe more of that Johnny football style of football. You know, Georgia is a conservative team by nature, uh, but there's that. And then I think first quarter against Tennessee, you saw cornerbacks uh, be tested on the edge, especially deep down the field. I expect more teams will try to do that. So you could definitely see a, a scenario where Georgia's championship hopes rest on Keely Ringo and Darion Kendrick. Dane Young, UGASports.com, our guest here on 3 and Out. Dane, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And Georgia has Charleston Southern coming up this weekend, and then Georgia Tech, and then the SEC championship game uh, in three weeks. So uh, there's a lot more football left for Georgia as they come down the stretch. We'll come back. We'll look ahead tomorrow night. Falcons are back at it after one of their worst performances ever. You get the Patriots, and you may be missing your best offensive weapon uh, at this point. We'll get to that when we return. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, three and out. On this Wednesday, Kevin BJ and Ben Falcons and Patriots tomorrow. Falcons coming off. We talked to D. Orlando earlier in the week from the AJC coverage. Falcons said, Look, I've been covering the Falcons a long time. That's the worst performance. That's the worst performance he's seen since going back in the early 2000s. So it's bad. 43 to 3. Terrible. And now you get a short week and a game time decision. Or Cordero Patterson, and you say, well, how how, how much does that hurt you? Cordero Patterson, your second uh, leading rusher in terms of attempts. He is your leading rusher in terms of yardage. He's got, I believe, 12 or 13 more yards on 11 less carries than Mike Davis. So it's been pretty even uh, as far as yardage. And he is your second leading receiver behind Kyle Pitt. So if he can't go, it starts to get real shallow Real, real quickly for the Atlanta Falcons there on offense. Yeah, Ben Patterson right now has almost 500 yards receiving and over and over 300 yards rushing. So he's been incredibly productive, uh, historic production in some ways. But that's concerning. It's especially concerning when you think about just the struggles that you know the whole team has had. No momentum, uh, you know, offensively. I mean, just for point of reference the Jacksonville Jaguars average more yards per game than the Atlanta Falcons the Jacksonville Jaguars are at uh, 332.7 yards per game and the Falcons are at 324.2 so the Jaguars are getting an extra first down per game compared to the Falcons and I just go back to the offensive line I think you've you've got to find a way 
to stabilize that front? And Ben, I don't know. I mean, is that something you can do with scheme? Is that something you can do with play calling? You know, should, could we see more screens, more draws? I mean, can that be a way to kind of counter a strong pass rush? But yeah, if Patterson can't go, you're going to have to adjust to something. And maybe, maybe this is the game where Mike Davis finally gets 20 carries and can run north-south between the tackles. And maybe that in itself helps stabilize the offensive line. But how do you how do you account for or adjust for an offensive line that's really having a hard time? I, I would say you're gonna first thing you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to go to the quick passing game because I mean that, obviously that, that speeds everything up, but that keep that kind of keeps Matt, Matty Ice out of harm's way. Then I mean BJ, you mentioned something with the screen game. Get more creative with the screen game. If you've seen, let me say it this way. If it has been unfortunate for you to have to pay good money for your cable to have been watching this Atlanta Falcons offense, you are saying to yourself, hey, man, where's the creativity? Yeah, it's like rice with no gravy on it. Like, rice is good, but, I mean, it's better with gravy. So I just think right now, BJ, and you just said something that doesn't happen in sports. Mike Davis is going to all of a sudden, no, the hell he ain't, because he couldn't do it with Cordell. He ain't going to just, oh, Cordell's not here, I got to do it. Now, he's going to be forced to get more carries. But when I watch Atlanta, I'm asking, where is the creativity? Where is trying to be able to put guys in a position, have Kyle Pitts coming in motion that he ain't just sitting there being a sitting duck, so try to you know, make sure that safety in that corner to that side going to play him over the top by getting chipped by that, by, that, by that defensive end. And I know we're talking about Cordell. Cordell plays offense. Um, what about this de- What about this defense? A.J. Terrell hasn't given up more than 30 Yards a game this year. And it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even seem like it. So, yes, BJ, are you going to have to get more you know, production out of guys when, when one guy goes down other guys have to step up? Yes. Matty Ice, is, he's giving you all he got. He really, really is. But I just think that may, and you only call plays according to the personnel that you have. Think about what you just – your most productive player plays two positions on offense. Cordell played receiver and running back. Now, what people don't forget about Cordell, he's even better at special teams. But they're like, dude, we can't even play him there anymore. So I do think you're going to have to get more creative in what you want to do on offense. The screen game could be that, uh, you know, because the one thing about this New England Patriots team, they've been playing really, really well as of late. They're going to get after Matty Ice. They're going to blitz him. They're going to force him to do what he wants to do quicker than he wants to do it. And these guys can't adjust. Dare I say, I know it was 43-3 last week. Ooh, we could be standing yeah. up at a, at, a, at a score potentially like that because this first quarter is going to have a lot to do uh, for the rest yeah. of this game. And Mac Jones really been playing well. I mean, you talk about how, how bad this Falcons team has been uh, at times, BJ. You look at the uh, statistical measures for the, for the Falcons, and they don't win in hardly any of them. And, and a lot of them just don't make a, a whole lot of sense. You look at uh, the Falcons running the football. Mike Davis – is your supposed feature back. He has 11 more carries than Cordero Patterson, and Cordero Patterson has more yardage than him. That's a problem uh, for a guy that's not supposed to be your full-time running back. Receiving. Anybody care to take a guess? I know I gave away some of the answers. Who the top four receivers are for the Falcons right now? Uh, like, just for the like, season. Just for the season, and we'll show you, like, how it gets bad from there, but... I mean, I would say Pitts, uh, Gage, uh, Zacchaeus, and Sharp, maybe. Or, that, is an inter- that is an interesting thought. No. Leaders in receptions for the Atlanta Falcons. Kyle Pitts is one. Cordero Patterson is two. Calvin Ridley, who is not playing, is three. And who's number four? 
that would be Mike Davis with 24 catches. So two of your top leading receivers in terms of catches are your running backs. That means you're checking down. That means guys aren't getting open. And, uh, again, Ben, you point to some of these things. Uh, the, the Falcons' offense, to couple along with a bad defense, Falcons have scored 19 touchdowns this year. The Falcons have allowed 19 passing touchdowns on defense alone. That I mean, that, that I'll tell you just how bad uh, they have been at times here uh, in, in 2021. Passing-wise, Matt Ryan, if you just look at what Matt Ryan does versus the guys passing the ball opponents-wise, it's not that bad. But running the football, man, it is just night and day uh, difference in, in what they've allowed uh, all season long for this Falcons team. And, and offensively, they've been bad. And it looks like you've gone from a team, Ben, with some maybe the most weapons on offense in the league, where you're looking at three, four wide receivers, a couple of tight ends, couple, to now you are looking around saying, my two best targets might be my running backs and Kyle Pitts, who is a tight end in his first year figuring it out and has one touchdown. It's going to be a it, it, The drop-off has been amazing to kind of yeah. sit back and watch. It's going, to, it's going to be a long year for this Falcons team because you have to jail. I mean, really not being in the offense really, really hurts this offense because you take away the deep threat. I know we I know we become box score. I know you live in the box score because the story that the box score tells. I'm always looking for two things when it comes to Matty Ice and when it comes to the receivers. I'm looking at completion percentage and how many and how many touchdowns. Because touchdowns affect the bottom line. Guys, man, he had 10 for 125 and they lost by 15 because you got to get in the end zone. You have nobody right now that threatens uh the opposing team in the end zone for this Falcons team. Cordell Patterson is gone. Kyle Pitt scored his one touchdown. I think he did it in London. So I don't think he's ever scored in the States. I'm just – and it's not his fault. Kyle Pitts can be more of a weapon. I just think that when, you, when you're talking about an offense that doesn't have a lot of – like they don't have a lot to work with. I mean, Kevin, when you mentioned that two of my top four, four receivers are – well, running back slash receiver right. Cornell and Mike Davis. And 24 catches for a running back is mostly just little dump downs or screens. I – I, I know how it is to be on the offense that it has no I mean, really, two identity. of your top three would be running backs if you consider that Calvin Ridley is not playing. I mean, that's, yeah. that so, takes it to another level. I just think that Arthur Smith is, uh, is going to have to really, really understand that, you know, you're going to have to really, really go deeper to the playbook, and you're going to have to challenge guys. I was on the team that had 21 to 22-year-olds, and we were the veterans on the team in my first and second year. We had to grow up. Matty Ice has given you all he can give you. Kyle Pitts, I mean, yeah, he's good for fantasy. And, you know, and the thing about Mike Davis, hey, you are the running back. So I think the guy, I think, you know, really being out, Cordell being out, you're going to have to find a way to step up because without any offensive identity, you can't, you don't even have the run game to go back to. You, that, you ain't good at pass protection. And we're only giving you the problems on the offense. We ain't even, Kevin talked about the 19 receiver touchdowns given up by the defense. You're going to have to find lightning in the bottle and you're going to and you're gonna have to hope you can ride that wave for four quarters because the thing about the Falcons teams is, forget the fact they don't have an offensive identity. They don't have an identity, period. You don't know what to expect from them. So, they got, unfortunately for them, they're going to have to figure out uh, tomorrow. We'll see what happens. But that's why they pay them. That's why you got to go out there and prepare. We'll see what happens. But you know what's amazing, though, Kevin? Just let me add this real quick. Because, because so many of the statistical storylines around the Atlanta Falcons are bad. You just have one of your worst losses in franchise history. You lost by 40 points. Okay, your offense is worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
on defense, you're last in the league in sacks and you're second to last in interceptions. With all that said, if you can beat a rookie quarterback at home tomorrow night, you're 500. And that's and that's pretty amazing to think about that you can't run the football, you can't block, you can't get to the quarterback, you can't. I, I mean, there there are so many things that are going wrong. You just lost 43 to three, and if you can beat a rookie quarterback at home tomorrow night, not saying they will, but if you can, you're 500. I mean, think about that opportunity for all that's you know for all the things you've struggled with. A win makes you 500 tomorrow night. I will say this. I know I talk a lot of – I give a lot of feedback when it comes to these Falcons. They don't have bad players. I think they have a bad team. There is a – I've been on both. I've experienced both. I don't think they got bad players. Maybe the scheme is too much right now. I, listen, I've been on a bad team before. Right now they're just a bad team because they're not working well collectively. They start working a little better collectively because now, BJ and Kevin, it's one thing to love me, you know what I'm saying, because you chose me. Now you got to love me because I'm all you got. And these guys right now, this is all you got on offense. Find a way to get it done. Try to exploit Mac Jones. And, BJ, you're right. If you win a game for at least a week, you don't have to hear the boo birds. But if you lose, mm, 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 we'll see. We've got more to Good to have you back here. Three and out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, you mentioned the Falcons and Patriots tomorrow. Patriots, a seven-point favorite going into this ball game tomorrow. So, uh, despite all of that, BJ, we talked about all their flaws for you know, the entirety of the last segment. You can be 500, and you're only a touchdown touchdown dog, despite all of that, to a, uh, a young man at quarterback who's really playing well, Mac Jones. Yeah, but I, that's a pretty big line for a pro football game. You know, normally you see lines in college that are 14, 20, 28. You don't see that in the, in the league. You see more, you know, three, four-point lines. So, a fairly big line, but Ben, come on, man. Listen, you had a terrible performance last week. You're at home. You're on prime time. You're facing a rookie quarterback. Got to be a bounce-back game to a certain extent tomorrow night, right? You would hope so. You would hope so, BJ. And, look, you can't just turn it on to sports. It's, it's, I mean, you separate you what, so you separation from, you know, from your preparation. I, I, get, I get those things, you know, alignment and assignment. You know, you got to, you know, anticipate the situation – you got to focus on it. You got to focus on the down distance. You got to you got to you got to execute and you got to finish. All these things you see around, you know, all these billboards around the, around the facility. Dude, take pride in what you do. It's almost like I didn't like going to I didn't like going to watch the tape knowing that I was listen, I could care less about being the reason that we win. I refuse to be the reason we lose. And that's how I played because I gotta face these dudes. And all this key keying around around the you know the facility is cool until they realize, dude, we listen, can't depend on the undependable. You don't want to get that label of you can't be dependent upon. So I think for the Falcons, they're doing it for themselves, understanding that look, five and five after ten games is respectable when you talk about everything they don't have on this offense. But you lose, because Mac Jones ain't playing like no rookie. Be careful, cause Bill Belichick, oh, he can still coach, ladies and gentlemen. And he's on a mission, obviously. He, yes. A lot of folks talking about, uh, you know, Tom Brady last year. Bill Belichick's out there to say, look, I can get it done without Tom. That's fine. You know, he can still coach. But, yeah, I think the Falcons, obviously, uh, going to be a task, uh, a, a big challenge uh, coming up tomorrow night, uh, BJ. But you got to figure out a way to uh, to get something positive going. I mean, you lose another one, you know, 35 to 10 or something like that, there's going to be a lot of folks going, like, what else can you do uh, at this point, Falcons? You just flat
Going to be back here three and out. A lot to get to here in our number two. We will hear from Nick De La Torre, uh, Gators Territory and Stadium in the Gale podcast. Uh, we'll talk Florida, Florida with Missouri this weekend, then Florida State to finish up. Where is Dan Mullen in relation to that hot seat? We'll hear from him in about 20 minutes. Also, Rich Stiles will join us, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. you got the PGA Tour along the coast this week uh, for the RSM Classic out on St. Simons Island. So we'll talk to Rich Stiles about that coming up in just a little bit as well. But that being said, let's take three here on three and out. We're talking job opportunities here today, fellas, in college football. I'll give you two jobs. You tell me which one you think is the better job. And now you can take into account a number of things, recruiting, pressure to win, what have you. Better job, LSU or Oklahoma? Wow, and a lot of rumors on social media over the last, you know, 24 hours potentially about uh, uh, Lincoln Riley and would, would he be is he a candidate at LSU and how do you view those two jobs compared to one another? Two of the two of the great programs in college football. I mean, I think sometimes we forget just how dominant and incredible Oklahoma's been. Oklahoma's in the top five. I believe they're fourth in all-time wins in college football. And they've been a regular in the college football playoff, Heisman Trophy winners, the NFL draft. I mean, Oklahoma, and they're moving into the SEC, but even before that, Oklahoma is one of the, you know, tier one college football programs in the country. But I think there's a different level of, maybe resources even at LSU. I, I believe Ed Orgeron was making over $9 million, which was second, I believe, only to save it. So you're talking about a program that can pay, will pay as much as anybody in the country. So I think Oklahoma probably the better program when you think about the history of the two schools. But I think it's close, it's tough, but for better job, if you want to get uh, as much of a salary, as big of a salary as possible, I think your choice has got to be LSU. <sighs> BJ, when it comes, I mean, when it comes to prestige, BJK, when it comes to prestige tradition, you ain't gonna get much better than Oklahoma. But we ain't talking about that. We're talking about the better job, and it's what have you done for me lately? Oklahoma's coming over to, you know, you can't beat them, join them. They're coming over to the NCC. You know why? Because they want some of that prestige. They want some of that 24-hour a day, seven days a week uh, coverage. But it is LSU. Because, number one, I got to win every – well, I got to do it within four years, BJ, and nothing about the history of LSU makes me think I can't because Ogeron is the worst of the three coaches that won it, but he has the best team of the three coaches that won it. And we run the state of Louisiana. They run it. Oklahoma probably have to deal with Oklahoma State and, you know, Texas trying to take their recruits. Nobody's taking recruits from LSU out of the state. You're going to be able to get some of the best talent. And $9 million speaks volume. $9 million? I mean – I remember when a high-paid coach was a million, two million, nine million. So, because at the end of the day, yes, you want you want to look back on your resume and say, oh, man, remember we did this? No, you want that bank account and be like, you see that? The fact that one team can give you nine, nine million dollars, and yes, you got to deal with the SEC West. But if, but, but, but if don't money supposed to compensate for the nonsense? Nine million compensates for it. If I got to deal with that, I would go with LSU because, number one, I don't have to put place more on myself as a head coach. I get the coordinator. So I'm more of an overseer than a guy that has to go out there with X and O's. And I get paid nine million big ones to do it. I don't know what the state tax is in Louisiana, but I'll take nine million to deal with it. 
I take nine million for the boot, so give me LSU from what have you done for me lately? Yes, you have to deal with the SEC West, but Oklahoma, I mean, what if Oklahoma comes up to the SEC and they're in the SEC West? Huh? Can't even escape it. So, yes, BJ, for me, it's LSU. I mean, I, I think they're going to go to the pod system, but we'll see. Well, that's yet to. Yeah, if, part of what you say, what is the better job? You have to say that realizing that, at the very least, in two years, it's going to be in the SEC, maybe a little sooner than that. But I, th- I think it's Oklahoma. You are, again, much like a lot of the SEC, you're the state flagship school. I don't know how many recruits you're losing to Oklahoma State, even though they've been a very good uh, program under Mike Gundy. And you're going into the SEC. You can win the state. Uh, you can win the national championship uh, at Oklahoma. I, I, I think to me right now, it's that that's the better job. That is the better job right this second. I would say Oklahoma better than than the LSU job. Moving along, Virginia Tech or Washington. Both jobs are open. Virginia Tech, the Hokies, and Blacksburg, or Washington. And we talked about the Virginia Tech job yesterday with the news surrounding Justin Fuente. I think there's a lot of potential there. That program was on a national stage and was really dominating, Kevin. Uh, the ACC, you and I went to a couple of ACC championship games where they were there. But I, I think I think Virginia Tech has a lot to offer. But I think if you look at maybe the history of the two programs and recent history, I might lean Washington. Uh, folks forget this. Washington was in the college football playoff in 2016. And there haven't been, I mean, we've talked about this before with the lack of parity at the top. There have only been, what, like a dozen, if that, teams that have made the college football playoff, and Washington is one of them. Washington has made the college football playoff within the last five years. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't feel like it. You don't think about them when you mention college football playoff teams. But in 2016, they were there and lost to Alabama. Well, so do most teams. But I think you have that. Washington also won a national championship in the 90s. They had an early national championship. They split with uh, – they did that in the early 90s. That's Georgia Tech. They had a championship that they split with Miami. So Washington at least has a modern national championship to go along with the college football playoff. I'm a big fan of the Virginia Tech program, that 99 team, one of the greatest teams I've ever seen. I think both are big-time jobs, but if I had to pick one, I would lean Washington. <sighs> yeah, BJ, I know Washington has been, you know, been there as of late as far as, like, the college football player. But as you mentioned, no one remembers it and no one cares. And that's the thing about when you put when you put when you when you play games when nobody else is watching besides your fan base because they have it too too late in the day and you're in a conference that's really that really, you know, they got some big names but not enough lust. I'm gonna go with Virginia Tech. I mean Virginia Tech is on what Kevin, you always talking about Virginia Tech is on the side of the ACC that they've had seven different winners in seven different years. Virginia Tech could be, I mean, this is a down year for the ACC, and Virginia Tech could have could potentially be in a better position this year. I just think that the ACC just brings a lot more prestige. You're gonna be, you know, it's the road less traveled. I don't have to deal with as much as a UW would probably have to do with an Oregon or maybe a USC or maybe a UCLA if they're good. I think that because the ACC ACC is itself and Virginia Tech is a big, is a big brand. I just think, you know you have to deal with recruiting as far as like UVA, you know, coming down to you know UVA as far as like, I'm gonna go with Virginia Tech. I think that the ACC uh, is is definitely on the rise. Yes, Clemson makes that conference better, but Virginia Tech uh, they care about what happens in Blacksburg. Nope, those guys have been to an ACC championship game. They haven't been to a college football playoff. But I'm looking at who has a who has a role less travel. I go with Virginia Tech, and I think that because of you know. Uh, the brand equity that they bring, they're gonna be trying to bring a little bit more fire as far as like uh, as far as like um, 
you know, uh, accessibility to this school like a like a Virginia Tech more. You see what the SEC does as far as like putting the putting the spotlight on it. I'm gonna go with Virginia Tech because, like I said, I like you, Dub. But and BJ, I know we do this. Who has the most notable player? If Mark Brunel <clears throat> walked in and was speaking to the, speaking to the Huskies, does he have to be introduced? Yes. They're like, ladies, if the mic went out, they're like, who is this? What is it? No, no, no. Pete, uh, Michael Vick walks in. People are, they doing the old Fred Sanford, Elizabeth, I'm coming home. Yeah, he, so for me, give me Virginia Tech, even though uh, Shane Beamer is probably going to stay, uh, you know, with them game, cop. No, Virginia Tech, better job. And again, you got, uh, you know, I look at it from this. As been said, easier chance to win in the ACC, easier chance to recruit I think at Virginia Tech, even though you're in kind of a rural area there in Blacksburg, uh, Washington, you're probably going to get most of the best players in Washington, even though a couple years ago Jacob Eason said he'd rather go all the way across the country than stay and play in Washington. Uh, but you're going to have to go down to California and get players. If I'm Virginia Tech, you got the Virginia, you got the Hampton Roads area, hot recruiting bed. Several schools in your conference are in North Carolina. You got Georgia Tech in your conference, so you can go down to Atlanta and get players. Florida's on the uh, on the map. Pennsylvania's on the map with Pitt in there. You can go around and try to recruit players from. I just look at it and say inside your conference rely, uh, reside schools in three of the top five recruiting areas in the country. So you, you can go and get players uh, relatively close. You're in a competitive ACC where the turnaround could be very quick. Uh, I, I, to me, I think Virginia Tech's a better job. Better job. Washington, not saying you can't get it done, but you got to deal with Oregon, USC potentially coming back, UCLA. You're going to have to go into California and take your share of players. Uh, meanwhile, the Utahs and Cal's and all of them are trying to do the same thing because there's only so many D1 players in Montana and Washington and Idaho for you to go get and uh, and try to bring into your program. So to me. Uh, it's Virginia Tech, better job. Finally, take three, better job, Miami. Not open yet, but the AD just got fired. So if you're bringing in a new AD and you're not really living up to expectations, good chance that that job could come open. So Miami or Southern Cal? Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is that is rough. You're talking about elite programs, programs that have had modern dynasties, uh, programs that you know tell the story of college football. I, my, you know, my my gut says Miami, and I think about the U. I think about the pipeline to the pros. I think about you know just the and well, what's you know what's so tough is you can say all the same stuff about SC. I mean, you know, when I was in high school, college, Miami was dominating college football, but right after that, so was SC. I just think Kevin, you talk about recruiting. The best high school football in the country is played probably in Florida, in South Florida, and Miami has been able to recruit their their backyard primarily for a long time and have con- consistent championship success. Now, you've not had that the last couple of years, but Mark Rick a few years ago, you won 10 games, you were undefeated in November, so it's not like there hasn't been a modern precedent for success for Miami. I just think Miami's program you know, doesn't have the long-standing tradition, of course, of SC, but with the recruiting there, I, I kind of think they're a sleeping giant, you know? In the ACC Coastal, Kevin, you've talked about it. I mean, who do you have to overcome in the ACC Coastal? If Clemson takes a step back, who do you have to overcome overall? 
And I think, I, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but with a change at athletic director, sometimes they change and head coach follows that. I feel like everything I say about Miami could also be, be said about Southern Cal. So it's tough. You can, you, you can go either way, but I just think there's something special about the U. Wow, when you talk about brand, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I like USC. I do. I do think. I do think. Uh, I do think they are uh, BJ. They are a team that they are a coach away. But I just think about the fact that you know, Coach Helton. Everybody was saying, "Where's Coach Helton going to go leaving USC? Is he going to go to Georgia Southern?" Meaning, you, Kevin talked about Jacob Easton going. You know, going. You know, coming from you know uh, Washington to, to Georgia, either end up back in Washington. I mean, the fact that. USC don't know who their coach is going to be. That's how crazy their brain has gotten. Like, I don't know who our coach is going to be. But for me, it is Miami. Ed Reed, Art, no, he's the greatest safety to me to ever play football. The best safety I've ever seen also went to Miami, and that would be Sean Taylor. Ed Reed is on the staff at Miami, and no one cares. You know why? Because Miami isn't good. But BJ, I remember when, like you said, Miami. I mean, Jumps and Vilma right down there. Andre, Andre Jumps, right? I mean, they getting them, they plucking them. They just going to the neighboring high schools and they plucking them. They are, they are not that far away from that. They are not that far away from that. So, but and once again, they're in the ACC. Miami is a, when people start saying it, Miami is a season away from going to the ACC championship game, getting back in the national spotlight, and, and only God knows what that's going to do for their recruiting. You talk about a hotbed. The hottest bed there is in high school recruiting is the state of Florida. There is a person, there is a player from the state of Florida on every college football team that has football. I can guarantee you that. The problem is they leaving Miami. They don't want to go to Miami. So let me get this straight. You talking about the best, one of the best cities, and one of the best, and one of the, you know, and one of the, you know, not the easiest conference, but, but, but you know, but a road less travel conference. The weather, the atmosphere. Nope. Where you going? Where you gonna go, young man? Oh man, I'm gonna go to Baylor. <laughs> oh, like it's, it's to me. To, so to BJ, I think it's Miami because Miami is going through an identity crisis, but they're not that far away. Just like I said, if USC is a coach away, I love Manny Diaz, but Manny Diaz ain't it. It's, it's just not. Because you know what Manny Diaz, know what, know what tradition he's carrying on, Kevin? Not winning that is because, unfortunately, I'm on them 30 for 30 Miami teams that I had to play against. So, yes, yeah, I think it is Miami at this point. I mean, if, if it was 1980, 1990, I'd say it's Miami. You know, it's Southern Cal, better job. I mean, the weather's nice in Southern California, right? There's a song, it never rains in Southern California. Oh, it's been, oh, 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 it rains out there now. <laughs> But I mean, you got, but you got, uh, you know, uh, Los Angeles. A lot of players there to, re- to recruit. State of California to recruit. Still a high-profile job. A, a team that was in the Pac-12 championship relatively recently. Uh, so I, I, I look at it and say, I look, Southern Cal got the resources. They are dedicated to win. Miami, you better be winning for people to show up. Southern Cal, they'll show up. And uh, they'll support you. So I think better job, Southern Cal, right now for me. That's take three. We do it every day. This time we'll come back. Nick De La Tour. We're talking Gators. How hot is that seat for Dan Mullen? Nick De La Tour joins us next here on 3 and Out. Welcome back. 3 and Out here at Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin BJ and Ben. Glad you are with us here on this Wednesday. Uh, Florida Gators, obviously a uh, 
Well, that was not what you hoped for and wild all at the same time. 70-52 to over Sanford. Gators finish up at Missouri this Saturday and then Florida State in that state rivalry game. But now how hot is it getting there on uh, Dan Mullen, Nick Nailatore, uh, Gators territory, joining us here on 3 and Out. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you? Let's see if we can get Nick. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Hey, we are doing uh, doing fantastic. And, uh, again, I don't know how you even spin what happened last week. I mean, I guess you won, uh, but you gave up a, a lot of points. Uh, defensively, what is Florida trying to do here coming down the stretch uh, of this season uh, to, I guess, take some of the heat off? Win? Is it just as simple as that, or do they need to have some kind of proficiency in doing it? Uh, I mean, there's already going to be coaching changes after the year. You know, the offensive line coach is gone. The defensive coordinator is gone. So, um, you know, the change is already coming. But I, I think you might be in a situation if you're Dan Mullen where you need to win these two games. I don't know if, if, if he survives going to Columbia, Missouri and, and having a game like they had in Columbia, South Carolina. So um, winning cures a lot. Uh, I think Dan Mullen probably needs to win these next two games to – to keep his job, but uh, it, it'll be a tall task with uh, Tyler Batty and the way he's running the ball and uh, the way Florida's you know, struggled to tackle at times this year. So tough task in, in, in Missouri. Uh, certainly wasn't an uh, awe-inspiring performance last week uh, against Stanford. And Sanford's got a really productive offense at the FCS level and the SOCON, but what they did, especially in the first half, uh, how do you explain that? What was kind of the reaction as to as to why? What was going on out there in that first half especially? Yeah, well, I don't know that anything was wrong um, offensively. Florida kind of scored you know, whenever they had the ball for the most part. Emory Jones had a record-setting day. Um, Maybe you can chalk up, you know, if you're, if you're playing apologists or looking for reasons, uh, maybe you can chalk up um, having a new coach at calling plays at defensive coordinator. Um, but, I, but I'm really missing and looking for that Florida offensive line and defensive line that I saw against Alabama. And they were more physical than Alabama on both lines of scrimmage. And then you look at the South Carolina game, the defensive line getting blown off the ball. Um, against Stanford, you know, not getting a push, getting blown off the ball, running lanes. I'm looking for that defensive line. I know everyone's dinged up and banged up at this time of the year, but uh, playing against an FCS team, which only has 63 scholarship players, if those guys had offers to Florida, they wouldn't be at an FCS school. So a team that was outgunned and undermanned really manhandled you for, you know, at least one half of football uh, last Saturday. I mean, Nick, how, how do you describe everything going on at Florida right now? Obviously, this goes back to last season, maybe like at the end of the year, and you talk about the way they played against Alabama, but it seems to be the Florida can't put two good games together, and when they do have a bad game, it's disastrous either on one side of the ball or both sides of the ball. Uh, they can't put two halves together. Um, I've been waiting for a full 60 minutes from Florida all year, um, so not even putting two games together. Um, it, it, it's wild. After the South Carolina game, I wrote, I tried to figure out how Florida had fallen so far. Because a year before that South Carolina game, Florida had just dismantled Georgia in Jacksonville. They were top five in the country. They had a Heisman hopeful, the future John Mackey Award winner in Kyle Pitts. You had one of the most exciting players in the country in Kadarius Toney. And, and now we're sitting here talking about, is Dan Mullen going to be coaching the Gators 16 months later? So, 
Uh, I mean, we're it, it's been a spectacular fall from grace for Dan to get to this point. But if you go back and look, each week there's something. You know, it was the Missouri, uh, you know, fight before halftime last year. The two losses to LSU teams that were banged up and had guys quitting. They had they fired their coach this year. Um, losses to Kentucky, uh, and then, you know, just a complete no-show in Columbia. So I think you're getting to a point, and then if you throw in recruiting on top of that, um, it's just been a really quick spiral kind of out of control for Dan. And and I think, you know, you look at the move he made in severing ties with John Hevesy, a coach he's been with since 2001, does that show growth? Does that show change? And does Mullen get enough time to get some other guys in, some guys around him that can help with recruiting? Um, on top of what they've been able to do in terms of, you know, developing talent. And you're, you're right, Nick. It seems like uh, trying to figure out where this thing kind of went off the rails is is, is puzzling because this was a team that was a play away from potentially beating Alabama. And as you said, just a few short months later, you're talking about can they win one or two of these games uh, down the stretch to try to, uh, to to save Dan Mullen's job. It's It's really quite spectacular when you think about it. It's, I, I, I got the idea because I, we went into LSU. I traveled to LSU, and I was talking to some of their writers, and I'm saying, how is a coach who won a national championship and a coach an undefeated team, coach of the year, about to get fired 18 months later? And then it's not really until you go back and put things almost into a list. And then when they did that for me, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. That's why Ed Orgeron's getting fired. Um, and it didn't make sense to me because Florida, you know, uh, shoot, they had the ball with a chance to win the game with time running out in the SC Championship last year. Um, and then I, I think the, the comments Dan made about the, the scout team in the Cotton Bowl, I think that's kind of a slap in the face to guys who actually played in that game um, and, and didn't decide to opt out. That rubbed fans the wrong way. And then obviously this year is, is, has been what it is. But one thing kind of just adds on to another, and, and it's kind of been a snowball that's, that's grown into uh, – you know, a boulder that could take out of town right now. So, Nick, what do you expect on Saturday? I mean, Florida and uh, Missouri, both 5-5. Five and five. You mentioned the Gators offensively put up huge numbers on Saturday. Do you expect improvement this weekend? Uh, there's 130 teams in college football, and Missouri's uh, run defense is 129th. Uh, I know Dan Mullen says, you take what the defense gives you, but I expect Missouri to load the box because they have to, and even when they load the box, they're not very good at stopping the run. So I think Florida needs to go in and, listen, trust trust your running game. Trust your offensive line. Challenge your offensive line to be that line from the third week of the season. Um, and I think if Florida can run the ball effectively, they can get it out with a win. It's been a weird series um, between Florida and Missouri. There's been some nonsensical games um, that you can't really – uh, you know, figure out. But um, I think it's a very winnable game for Florida. I thought that probably the whole year. Um, but they're going to have to stop Tyler Batty. He's having uh, one of the best seasons in, in the last 10 years in the SEC. He's run for 200 yards four times, joining Leonard Fournette, Derrick Henry. So that's going to be the big task, stopping Tyler Batty, not letting him beat you, and then Florida needs to be able to run the ball effectively. Dan Mullen finally gets rid of, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ty Grantham. I, I know it wasn't a decision that he that he wanted to make. He did it grudgingly. I mean, obviously, they're gonna Dan Dan Mullen if and when he wins these last two, hopefully three games, to be back next year. Is there anybody in mind uh, 
right now for Florida as far as like a defensive coordinator or and and do they go with a do they go with a guy this season or do they try to give a young guy a chance to try to go out there and prove himself? It, it's interesting because you always have to you have to you know I've I've tipped my hat to Dan Mullen and Hevesy and those guys and, and the job they do uh, developing players, but you're seeing the difference in recruiting in, in, in Georgia's classes and Florida's classes. It creates such a small margin of error for Dan on Saturdays, and he he has to have a perfect game plan, and then those guys have to execute his perfect game plan, or else you're going to lose the game because you haven't recruited to the level of the other guys. So. I think when you're looking at filling out the staff, um, not that recruiting is more important than what they are as a coach on the field and, and how they'll develop, but recruiting has to has to has to be um, you know, a, a factor in the the, the hires at uh, offensive line and defensive coordinator. Um, you start to look at guys like maybe a Travis Robinson. I know Jeff Collins is is a guy that uh, has a current head coaching job right now, but if he were to get let go at Georgia Tech, I think he's a no brainer hire. He was great here. Uh, at Florida as a defensive coordinator, Mullen's defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. He's a guy that I would look at, uh, look to as well. Um, there's a bunch of names that uh, um, <laughs> that I looked at a while ago, and then things kept transpiring, and now I'm you know starting to get a head coaching hot board just in case uh, they make a move. So there's a lot of moving pieces right now. Nick De La Torre, uh, Gators territory and rivals uh, covers the Gators joining us here. On uh, three and out, and Nick, as you said, it's kind of funny. You were been asking you about defensive coordinator, and the, the first thought that popped into my mind was, "Well, what if Dan gets fired? You don't really need a defensive coordinator uh, at, at that potential point." I mean, how tenuous is that situation with with Dan Mullen, knowing that as we've seen other schools let coaches go? You have the early signing period coming up in mid December. Uh, I mean, are they locked in with Dan for another year, or is it as simple as, uh, hey, no, if he loses a game or maybe both of these last two, he might be gone? Yeah, I thought uh, before the South Carolina game, I thought, wrote, said on my podcast that Dan Mullen's fine. Um, I expect, but at that point, I expected Florida to win their last four games, um, you know, and, and finish the year strong, build some momentum, maybe finish up with a little bit better recruiting. Um, I think the South Carolina game, Changed Scott Strickland's view, um, changed Dan Mullen's view. It should have, um, and I think it did, just because of the, the timing of the moves with Hennessy and Grantham right after that game. Uh, and then I don't know how Scott Strickland can watch that game Saturday in the first half and, and, and still think, you know, fully that Dan can be the guy. I'm not sold on Dan. I think I know a lot of the fan base is. I'm not sold on Dan. I think he, I mean, sold on getting rid of him. I think he could. If he gets the right players around him, he could win and win championships at Florida. It's going to take him growing as a coach and realizing, hey, here are some deficiencies I have. Here are some deficiencies my staff has had. How do we plug those holes and how do we get better in those areas? Uh, I keep going back to it, but one of them, is, uh, a huge one is recruiting. So uh, to me, if, Dan, if Florida can go out and look at how I think they should look against a bad Missouri team uh, and beat Missouri the way they should, uh, go out and beat Florida State the way they should, get a bowl game, win that bowl game, I think you could um, keep Dan Mullen. It's just, uh, there's a lot of job openings right now. USC, LSU, Virginia Tech just opened. Um, so there's a lot of good jobs that are open, and I don't know that there's a ton of really great candidates that, that would come to Florida that Florida fans would you know, call that quote-unquote home run hire. Uh, Going to be interesting to watch there in Gainesville last couple of weeks. Nick De La Torre uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. Nick, appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Nick DeLatorre joining us here from Rivals and Gator Territory here on 3 and Out. We've got more to come. We'll talk with Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, RSM Classic, along the uh, southeast Georgia coast uh, on St. Simons Island. Uh, beginning tomorrow with the first round, he'll join us next here on 3 Welcome back. 3 and Out here on this Wednesday afternoon. Glad you're making us a part of your day. RSM Classic starting tomorrow. There on St. Simon's Island as it returns the PGA Tournament uh, Tour, excuse me, returns uh, to the Sea Island Golf Course on St. Simon's Island starting uh, tomorrow. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joining us. Rich, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm a little tired. Um, Caddy today, 19,000 steps. Other than that, I'm doing okay. Oh, come on. Like, the, the, try doing a three-hour radio show, Rich. That'll really wear you out. <laughs> Yeah, then I'll have sores where I don't want to talk about. No, absolutely. Look, obviously, this has uh, become an annual event uh, there on uh, St. Simon's Island as uh, the RSM Classic is is back. And what are you looking for this week? Uh, weather looks to be pretty good uh, coming up there on uh, on St. Simon's Island this weekend. Yeah, the weather looks like it's going to be great. Might get a little windy on a couple of days, which uh, you know the members would like to see because they'd like to see these pros play in the same conditions that that they play at sometimes on their home course. And it's it's a good field this year again for the RSM. Last year we came after the Masters. You remember uh, that uh, in November, and uh, but we got another good field uh, this year. Um, it. It, it would be great to see one of the local guys that live here, one of the pros, win. Um, I caddied today with um, with Pat and Kazire, and then the other day with Zach Johnson. Both of them played the course great. Uh, they shot great. The greens are running fast. Uh, the conditions are in superb um, conditions, um, and I just think it would be good to have somebody from here win. But you've got a lot of guys that are playing really well coming into the RSM Classic. Rich, does the familiarity with, with the course, with the area, the conditions, does that is that an advantage for the local guys, for the guys that are from here? Yes and no. I mean, it is because, you know, they play here a lot and they know the course and they know the greens are going to be fast. They know if the wind's blowing, what it's going to do. But, you know, when you're home, um, I've talked to a couple of them about it, and uh, they, they say their routine gets, when they're away, they have a certain routine that they do. Uh, when they're home, that routine is they're home with the family, with, with the kids, with their friends who want tickets. Uh, they want to get together for dinners. And uh, it, it, it just kind of uh, is not the same. So you would think the familiarity with the golf course would be a big advantage, which it is. Uh, however, uh, being home does put a little bit more stress on the locals because everybody expects them to play well and everybody expects them to win on the course that they play all year long whenever they're they're off or just want to practice um so we'll see um nobody from here has won um chris kirk won but he moved away prior to that uh before he moved to atlanta um we've had a couple of close uh, ones. Webb Simpson always plays good here. Uh, so we'll see what happens this week at the RSM. Rich, you talked last week, or excuse me, last year was right after the Masters, of course, right in the middle of, uh, you know, COVID and uh, the COVID protocols. And you didn't 
weren't able to have the the, the fans uh, get involved. Uh, what does that look like here in 2021 uh, for this week's event? Well, there are tickets. I mean, there are going to be people that are going to be able to come. There is no limitation. Uh, this is probably not the most uh, uh, popular places to play. I mean, it's a very popular place for the for the players to come with their um, families. Um, but uh, they they usually have somewhere around twenty twenty five thousand people uh, that come to the tournament, and those are usually numbers that you see at some of the other tournaments in a day. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, tomorrow starts the tournament. I mean, Adam Scott's uh, one of the well-known guys that's here, um, and uh, he tees off tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock. So with the time change, they always have to get the tee time somewhere between, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock in order to be finished by the time it gets dark. Rich, you know these courses well. What What's the key to success or, I guess, staying playing well enough to stay in contention out on these courses? Well, obviously, keeping it in play helps fairways, greens. Um, I mean, that's what Zach and uh, Patton did today. Um, and then just try and get yourself in a position where you can make some putts. But the greens are running really fast. I mean, they're probably in a range of, as far as the stent meter, about 13, which is fast. There's really... No other course except uh, Augusta National that really has the greens running that fast. And if the wind's blowing um, and the greens speed as it is, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting. You're really going to have to concentrate on where you want the ball to land when you're hitting up into the green. So no big numbers. Take advantage when you can. Go for the pins when you can and try and make some putts. Said, where where do you kind of expect the uh, the, the the leaderboard to, to to be this week? Are we talking uh, if you can get eight, nine, ten under par, that might be good enough? What do what do you expect? Well, I mean, if you look at the averages over the years of the uh, time of the RSM Classic, I mean, it's been anywhere from uh, you know fourteen to to uh, twenty. So um, I think you're probably going to be somewhere in that range again. Uh, you know, you need to have a couple of a couple of decent days and then one great day and it could put yourself in contention. So I think to make the cut, um, I think it's, uh, if it plays like it has in the past, I mean, the cut is probably going to be somewhere around, uh, you know, even to maybe plus one uh, to maybe minus one. So I think it's going to be, you know, just two or three differences as far as making the cut. And then, you know, I think it'll be in that 14 to 20 range as far as somebody winning. I'll say 17-18 is going to probably win this tournament. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest here on 3 and Out, and Rich will have more uh, upcoming on Saturday, Sunday, uh, this weekend. Rich, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you much. Rich Stiles, Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joining us, RSM Classic on St. Simons Island this weekend as the PGA Tour makes its stop there once again. We've got more to come. Good to have you here, three and out. Apparently, BJ was intrigued by the fact that the Staples Center, on well, I guess now the former Staples Center, is going to be known as the Crypto.com Arena, as you know these naming rights Boo. change. Why, 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 I mean, everything's saying, man, got a stadium name now. Crypto. Crypto.com Arena. Well, no, no, so, Ben. The real reason I was interested in this is because everybody's talking about crypto, right? And 
you know, this currency and the value. And I know Kevin, you know, does a lot of that stuff. Oh, do I? So I wanted, yeah. So I wanted Kevin, you were, you were kind of giving me the brief overview in the show meeting, but what exactly is crypto? Where does it come from? And where does its value lie? Walk us through this. Uh, and I'm not, I'm, again, I'm the wrong guy. And, and by all means, please consult somebody else. If you're going to actually make a financial decision, I have to put that disclaimer out there. Uh, but crypto is a digital currency, basically. So you have, do you know the different kinds you have out there? There's like bunches of them. You have your Bitcoins, you have your Ethereum, the one that everybody got, uh, crazy on there for a while was uh, what is it dog i don't know how it's either dog or dogecoin d-o-g-e coin and it's literally like a picture of a dog and that's how it got that's how it got its name as a joke and it actually has value uh but where it. where does that value come from like like explain the value uh i'm gonna sound like an idiot on that one because i really you know i guess it's the value that people put on it and i know for like bitcoin they have already said there is a finite amount of Bitcoin. So uh, for when you get involved in Bitcoin, there is only going to be so much of it. And so that's where you kind of get your tradable value of, you know, it's not like the... So there are actual coins. These are not theoretical. There no, they're, no, they're coins. digital coins. No, you don't have anything physical that you hold in your hand. It's a decimal it's point. A, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's like I've said about the debit card. You're just moving decimal points. But no, crypto coins are, you know, basically digital coins that they mine on computers and servers. Whoa, 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 whoa. What does that mean? I, I, <laughs> I doggone it. I was hoping we were about out of time. Uh, <laughs> basically, from what I understand, it's you get these... Uh, these it's the person with the white face and the white gloves. Yeah, you get a... Yeah, I guess. No, you get uh, all these computers <laughs> and, uh, and servers, I guess, doing equations. And out of these equations, they mine a... Crypto coin, I get. I, again, I can't really. That's what, a, that's, what, what kind of equations? If I was that smart, I would quit this show and just mine <laughs> cur- cryptocurrency. But apparently, the value comes from the fact that there's only going to be so much of it uh, because they've already said, hey, there's going to be a finite amount of Bitcoin. And if, you know, much like if there was gold and there's a finite amount of gold, there's only you, you can't just poof make more gold. Okay, but in reality, there, what you're saying is, but there is no like actual physical. Coin. Yes, th- that is correct. But you can buy and sell it at crypto.com. <laughs> so they are the ones that are now the new sponsor of the former Staples Center. Uh, that was a horrible explanation. Again, I had to throw the uh, the the uh, disclaimer: do not take crypto advice from me or, or a full accounting of what it is. I just know in talking to other people, that is what it is. You mine digital currency, and that is how it is created. And you can buy and sell it just like you can anything else. And, you know, there are actually companies now who you can pay in crypto coins. Who was it in the NFL that actually got a portion of their salary paid to them in uh, Bitcoin? That would be uh, be Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence got a bunch of it paid in Bitcoin. Okay, well, I, I, it wasn't him that I was thinking of. I'm trying to think who it was, and I can't remember. But, yeah, there's all kind of guys who are saying, hey, I will take a portion of my salary No, you know, no, no, you can say, in no, Bitcoin. You know this is legit. When the Stable Center no longer is the Stable Center and Crypto.com bought it, that's all you need to know. You yeah, got that cheese even if you don't actually see the cheese. Yeah, we're, we're out of time. I will look it up in the break, BJ, to put it in terms of you what one Bitcoin is actually worth in what you would consider real money. We'll get to that. And much more exciting things. Drew Chronic will join us. We'll have Troop Talk final hour here on 3 and Out and the Financial Report. All across the Southern Big Skin Radio.
Good to have you back. Hour three. And BJ, I did look it up for you. One full Bitcoin is worth 58000 Six hundred some odd dollars. So there you go. As standing now, you and Christian were no, no, we're, no. It we're wasn't me. It, no, you didn't get a better understanding from me. So don't even put that out there. No, you were telling me about the dog coin, where it's the coin with the dog on it, right? And <laughs> oh, it became, or, 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 the, or the yeah, dog, exactly. You were, you were telling me about it. Oh, just because I've heard of it doesn't mean I know what it is. So that's uh, that's where we're at. Uh, but we'll move on to other things, like the I mean, again. <laughs> If, if you listen to me about Bitcoin and uh, digital currency, you will probably be broke on digital currency at some point. So, no, don't do that. Let's talk about something I do have a little understanding of. Well, maybe I don't. Uh, the, the playoff poll. No, I don't know if anybody understands how they go. But not, not a lot of change there uh, from the uh, the poll put out last night. Oklahoma moved down, obviously, because they lost. But about everybody else stayed uh, in the same place in, in terms of where it matters. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, they're in the poll. But you start looking ahead. We talked about this earlier with uh, with Dane Young. Georgia's got an FCS opponent this week. They got a three-win Georgia Tech team next week. You get past those two, which obviously you should. I think the SEC for Georgia kind of becomes, I don't want to say irrelevant, but you're still in the playoff. It becomes a matter of seeding for you at that point. Who would be the most difficult matchup you could get? And if you're Georgia, who are you kind of hoping would slide in there? I think for me, the most difficult opponent for Georgia would be Ohio State. And with the beat writers and the analysts we've talked to this year, obviously Georgia's defense is one of the all-time great defenses. But uh, from the folks we've talked to, we've heard, look, if you're going to have even a chance, a, a, a thought, a hope of moving the football, you're going to have to do it with multiple athletes out wide and a downfield passing game. And when you look at Ohio State, C.J. Stroud for the Buckeyes – has been absolutely remarkable. He's completing about 69% of his passes. He's averaging about 10 yards per attempt, which is elite. And he has 30 touchdown passes compared to just five interceptions. And not only does Ohio State have a big-time quarterback, you look at their receivers, a number of receivers, and Chris Olave, who is among the national leaders in receiving touchdowns with 11. I'm checking now. Yeah, he's tied for first. Tied for first in the country. You're talking about a guy that people are talking about going in the top five. If you look at some of the mock drafts for 2022, uh, you see Chris Olave. I, I know some have even said, could Jacksonville be looking at Chris Olave? Uh, but Ohio State, I think, has the playmakers. They have the offensive design. And I think, at least in theory, they have the offensive line that could hold up a little bit against Georgia. Now, does that mean they're going to score 34 points? No because we're talking about a generational defense. But I do think, at least in theory, with the quarterback uh, and C.J. Stroud, Ohio State would be the toughest matchup. And as usual, I mean, come on, it's it, it's Ohio State. You have guys on the defensive line, guys in the secondary that are going to be first, second-round picks. I think from a, from a stylistic standpoint, they would be different than much of what you've seen this season. I mean, I know Auburn spreads the field, but not really to throw a ton – um, you would not have seen a vertical passing game like this. And I think the vertical passing game combined with the talent and the experience on the offensive line is what would make Ohio State really scary. Uh, for me, I think the, and you say easiest matchup, relatively speaking, because it's in the playoff, but I think Oregon, you feel like you would be able to uh, do some of what uh, Stanford did, but to a much more proficient extent against the Ducks. 
Uh, but I, I, Ben, to me, the game that will worry me if I'm Georgia and I'm in the playoff is a semifinal matchup with Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State is definitely going to pose the biggest problem, BJ. You mentioned uh, C.J. Stroud, and people kind of got off him since they lost, you know, against Oregon. He has been lights out since. The guy's, you know, still uh, a Heisman Trophy finalist. But I think, I think, you know, even though even though we don't have him on this list, I think Cincinnati would because the whole thing about it is this: we need to we need to start looking at the situation. The situation is it's not like this is a, obviously you you familiar with this team because you was able to play them last year, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl, but. This is for everything. Cincinnati going to be coming to the game saying, look, you know how much dangerous the team is when they know that nobody wants them to be there even though they've earned the right to be there against the number one team? Cincinnati is a team that has, you know, a guy, Desmond Ritter, and BJ, they got some bookie and cornerbacks, might have number one corner in the country as far as, like, uh, this year's draft. But Georgia has to be perfect when everything's on the line. Cincinnati just has to be Cincinnati. And I think that's what makes the team dangerous. I, I understand we get we get we get caught up in you know uh, you know uh, I mean uh, you know styles you know uh, schemes wins fights, but situ- situations determines those schemes and those plays that you call. The one thing that Cincinnati does well that people don't want to give credit to they play really really good defense. So BJ, if Cincinnati, I mean if Georgia is Georgia on defense, but yes Cincinnati scores twenty, but Cincinnati's defense does its best. Georgia impression and ho- and 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 puts that uh, offense in a position to where they have to score, not that they're gonna score. I think that favors Cincinnati. And once again, what scares college football playoff committee is a Cincinnati because if Cincinnati is the number five team all year, once the college football playoff come out, all these things happen in front of them. You know, Ohio State loses the game; they shouldn't lose. Oregon loses the game; they shouldn't lose. Alabama gets beaten by Georgia. Cincinnati finds a way in, and they play Georgia in the first round or something, and Georgia and Georgia loses. See, that's what scares. But then Cincinnati makes it to the national championship. Now everybody's watching. So for me, I obviously uh, Ohio State is their hardest because I just think that that offense poses a problem for everybody when you got a secondary for Georgia. For which, let's face it, we know legitimately how good or how great. Georgia's front seven is. We don't know how good their secondary is. They're not bad, but we don't know how good they are because they've never been tested. Ohio State is going to test them with their style of offense, with a dual threat quarterback in C.J. Stroud. But for me, uh, Ohio State is the uh, is the worst case scenario for Georgia. But don't don't leave out them Bearcats because I know I know people people always say Georgia didn't have their quote best players last year in the bowl game. I don't want to hear that. They were scratching the claw to win that thing. Why? Because they had already lost to a Texas team two years prior, and they didn't want to hear, oh, Georgia don't want to win these games. So Cincinnati, too, but I, but I will, obviously Ohio State will pose a huge threat. Yeah, to me, it's Ohio State would be the uh, the, the toughest one. And, uh, again, right now, that's who you would face if nothing else changes, which everything could in the next two weeks. You'll have to, uh, t- to wait and see. But, uh, again, I think what are you looking at here if you're Georgia, BJ? If you can play the next two weeks and you win, which, which you should, you're going to be – Heavy, heavy favorites to win the next two weeks against the FCS team and a, a bad Georgia Tech team. I mean, win or lose, what's the worst-case scenario? Obviously, if you win, you're number one seed. You lose, what, two? If Alabama stays at number two, what, do you just fall to two? Maybe yeah, I three? Mean, I mean, I, I, I know two, three kind of doesn't matter, but I don't think it's one of those where if you're losing the SEC championship game, it's like one to four. I don't I don't think you have that big of a fall. So, I mean, I think well, the next couple of weeks you're you talking about – this too, Kevin. I mean, two, three doesn't even matter. Does it even matter? No, not necessarily. I mean, I mean, uh, 
home away, who cares at that point? You're going to play in the same place. But, I mean, what are you talking about? If you're if you're if they're one going into the SEC championship game, worst case scenario, what they're three at worst. I, no way they fall to four, right? No. No. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're talking about, it, you know, assuming they beat Arkansas and beat Auburn, Alabama, then being the one, and Georgia would be the, you know, the two or the three, maybe the three. But for all the talk about, oh, if you win, if you lose, if you lose, you still get in. I mean, let's not forget that little thing called an SEC championship. Oh, sure. Ben, I know you have one of the, I, I know you have one of those rings, and look, that that's very special. Uh, Georgia's a national contender. Georgia is competing for a national championship. Georgia's the favorite to win the national championship. But I have heard some comments, oh, well, if they lose, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it no, matters. I mean, it does, it does matter want, for this reason. One, you want the championship, BJ. But two, I think you want to knock Alabama out of this thing, if you can. Because, as as you know, it's hard to beat a team twice. Much like I think if Alabama beats Georgia and they were to get paired up again, like it's hard to beat a team like that twice. So I, I, I think if you're Georgia, beat them and get them out of the playoffs. Right? I mean, that would be the best case scenario. I mean, that's easier said than done. I mean, Alabama's going to come in. Kevin, when's the last time we said Alabama needed a game to get in? Now, I don't know if motivation is going to you know, gonna add any more fuel to the fire, but I just think that Alabama is one of those teams where, you, like, I agree with you, you don't want them in at all because they're the most dangerous team once they get in because they're used to this. Bryce Young, these guys, they come up, understand what it is. Georgia is the best team, the best team at situational football. That would be Alabama. And the last thing you want to do is to play mind games with old St. Nick. I think that favors Alabama. You want to get them out of there if you if and when you get a chance to. I just I I, I just wouldn't lose sight of the SEC championship. Yeah. I, I've seen so much talk about, yeah, well, if you lose, yes, you have a security blanket, which is awesome. If you win your next two, and you should by considerable margins, you can lose, and there's no chance. If, if, if Georgia loses, there's no chance you, get, you don't get in, losing to the number two team in the country. If Georgia wins their next two games, they are in the college football playoff. But the SEC championship matters. I mean, you only have so many of those. That's still the toughest conference in college football. So I just would be careful with all the it doesn't matter if you lose talk. I mean, Ben, you have one. You want to you get that SEC championship if you can. The thing about it is, BJ, when you start saying it don't matter because you undefeated, look at who you're going up against. Because the, the thing about it is, is if the game gets out of hand, and I know I know Georgia's gonna get in. Georgia gets Georgia gets the doors blown off them because they quote don't need it. Don't think you could just flip a no, switch. I don't I don't see that happening. I, I, I mean? I, listen, all I'm saying is I wouldn't put nothing past Alabama. Alabama understands they need the game in Atlanta. Georgia, that's another game on their schedule. I just think it's crazy that Georgia don't need the game. So oh, no, you be, want Alabama out of there. I'm yeah, telling you. Yeah. Be very, very careful. We've got a lot to get to here in this final hour. We're here from Drew Chronic, head football coach of the Mercer Bears. They're playing a conference championship game this week against uh, East Tennessee State. Uh, final regular season game, but it is for the conference championship. We'll hear from him. Also, uh, Ben will sit down with Ramon Foster for this week's edition of Troop Talk, former All SEC guard at Tennessee and a long time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He will join Ben coming up in just a little bit. This is three and out all across the Southern Pigs. Again, Radio Network, we're streaming live. You've got Mercer right there in the thick of things in the Southern Conference, a big game at East Tennessee State this weekend. Their head football coach, Drew Cronick, joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. And we appreciate you coming on and, and, and speak to that ride that your team has uh, has been on really played well uh, coming down the, the last three ball games and have a chance to uh, to maybe punch your ticket into the playoffs. Uh, speak to how that has kind of carried you here the last couple of weeks. 
Well, I'm, I'm proud of our kids. We've come a long way. You know, this is kind of my, I guess, <laughs> it's my second season on the job. Now, our seasons have been a little weird uh, the past. You know, we, we had a spring season last spring and uh, and then this fall. So we basically had two seasons in one year, and uh, I took over the program in 19, in December of uh, 2019. Uh, and so we've come a long way. Proud of our kids. We got the right kids here. They're believing in what we're doing. They're believing in each other. Um, they're playing their tail off. Uh, they're overachieving, um, and they're a lot of fun to be around. And and uh, they've managed to put themselves in a situation where they're one win away from a conference, an outright outright conference championship. So uh, we're very blessed. Worked very hard. I'm proud of these kids. Proud of my staff. Um, bottom line is, we got to go go got to go win a game. Hey, Coach, I know a lot of excitement uh, upcoming on Saturday, a chance to play for a title, play for the playoffs. But take us back to the game against uh, Chattanooga where uh, they're, they're one of the better teams in the league. It's a low-scoring game, and you guys win 10-6 to to set up what's now coming up this weekend. Yeah, it was a heck of a game. Chattanooga's loaded with a lot of talent and a very good football team. And, uh, you know, we knew it'd be – we felt like it'd probably be a low-scoring game because I feel like we're, you know – our defense is right now the strength of our team, and, I, and they're really good on defense. Um, and so uh, our, our defense played their tails off. And we forced uh, it was six turnovers, I believe. Um, you know, offensively, we, we had some good things happen. We, we, I would have liked to have scored some more points, obviously. Um, you know, but uh, to figure out a way to get it done uh, was a team effort, special teams as well. Um, but that was a huge win for us. And uh, our kids, our kids played their tail off, and uh, to put themselves in this position. So it was a heck of it was a it was a homecoming weekend for us. It was a big weekend. Uh, it was a great day on Saturday. Hey, coach, obviously it's much easier to go back and watch the tape when you're coming off a win. But what what you guys got to translate from last game to this current game this weekend with a team that's definitely you going up there to trying to make sure you get that win. Yeah, I mean the team we're getting ready to play is a really really good football team. East Tennessee is an outstanding football team and they're they play great defense they run the ball they have a tough-minded program i like them i like how they are and they're a team that can make some noise in the playoffs they beat vanderbilt um you know so uh we've got to continue that momentum we got to play great defense i think it'll be once again a little bit lower scoring game uh can't turn the ball over at all uh we got to take advantage of red zone and punch it through there and you know, make some field goals as well, and then continue to play great defense and, and cause some turnovers. So uh, uh, East Tennessee has is, is got an outstanding football team. We were able to, to beat them in the spring season. I uh, felt like that was one of the better games that we played. I'm sure that they're using that for motivation as well. Um, but it's the last two teams standing, and it's kind of cool that it gets to be decided in the last game. Oh, it's really awesome, and as you said, the uh, the road to prepare you for this, uh, the SOCON, for, for folks who are not familiar, I mean, certainly fans of Georgia Southern and others in years past who were in the SOCON understand the tradition, but speak to the challenges you guys have faced. As you said, East Tennessee goes and beats an SEC school early this year in, in Vanderbilt. Sanford last week put up 50 on uh, on Florida. Uh, just speak to the challenges you guys are facing in conference each and every week to, to get to this point where it's obviously going to mean so much to be able to call yourself SOCON champion. Well, at the FCS level, this is an outstanding conference, and I'm very familiar with this conference. I've been in this league before coaching at Furman, and, and uh, you know, you've got all kinds of different styles. Uh, you know, our defense has to face everything from all the spread sets, the, 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 the air raid stuff and the tempo stuff that Sanford does, all the way to you know, 
the wishbone triple option that the Citadel runs and everything in between. So it's a different challenge every week for us defensively. And then our offense, same thing. We're seeing even front, eye front, aggressive blitzing defenses, defenses just, you know, I mean, it's a little bit of everything in this league, and it's a very, very, very good league. Uh, you know, and it's a league where if you can come out of this thing into the playoffs, you can, you can, you can do some damage. Um, so uh, uh, we also played Alabama this year. So we we've, we've run the gauntlet a little bit, um, and we're kind of, you know, we're hopefully when all the dust settles, uh, we can be the last standing. So, uh, but it's a great league, great coaches, a uh, lot of tradition. Um, you know, and at Mercer, we're we're a fairly newer program. First season was 2013, so. We're trying to build a tradition here. So I'm very proud of the progress that we've made. And, Coach, you mentioned kind of the historical context here, a program reinstated in 2013. Now you're on the brink, control your own destiny for a conference championship, for a playoff spot. Do you allow yourself at all to reflect on kind of the big picture relevancy of all that you're doing and how fast this program has gotten to where it is? Or is that one of those things where you can't do that until you get through this weekend? Uh, you probably you, you try not to. It's human nature to think about things, and you know it takes to, to have a championship football program. It takes a university, you know, behind you. It takes administrators uh, believing in you and getting you what you need to attract great people and build, pay people and build, give you facilities and all those things. You know, it takes a great faculty and staff working with you on a daily basis to help our guys be successful academically. Um, you know, and it takes. Uh, it takes a staff. I, I've got a great staff of men who love their players, who invest in their players, who hold them accountable, who are really, really hard on them, but fair. Uh, and these kids know we care about them. You know, when I came here, there was a lot of work to be done, and we've covered some ground. You know, we, we've, we've given ourselves an opportunity here to uh, to play for a conference championship in just year two. Um, you know, make no mistake now, we got to go play good, okay? We, the bottom line is, all the things we're talking about, we have a great culture here. Our kids are working hard. They love each other. They're work, they're, they're, we're preparing them. But you still got to go play good for three hours on a Saturday against a really good team. Um, but we're very appreciative of the progress that's been made here. But it's, it is a group effort. It is a lot of people working together and believing in each other um, to give us this opportunity to play for championships. And this is where we want to be. We want to be, you know, consistently year in and year out in the hunt, you know, and being a playoff caliber team and a conference championship caliber team and, in a great conference. So uh, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of people, uh, you know, being unselfish and, and working together. Um, but I like our kids. I like our, our team. Uh, and I believe in our guys. I really, really do. And, Coach, it's something you always mentioned, something you talked about, you know, with us before the season. You were saying, listen, I got to be able to love on them, but I also got to be able to discipline them as well. You, it's something you always be preaching. How do you maintain keeping the main thing the main thing? With Look, I, I love you guys. I love our staff. But it's about going out there, performing well, and winning these ball games, putting ourselves and keeping ourselves in this position. Yeah, I think it first all starts with my leadership being consistent, okay, and, and me being unselfish, you know, to the best of my ability and – and taking care of these guys, pouring into them and investing in them. That's how kids know you care about them. And, listen, kids see through, you know, if, it, if it's, it's phony, they can see through it in 10 seconds. Um, you know, so they need to see me treating them like I would my own kids. And my wife and my kids are around this building. My staff, you know, our families are around this building. We are trying to build a family atmosphere that, that doesn't worry so much about the scoreboard but just worries about being the very best that we can be. So it starts with me being consistent, treating them with respect, being consistently hard on them and holding them accountable, while at the same time 
investing them and loving them, kids can see it. They know when you're doing that. So my staff honors those things. We are uh, – I'm a man of faith. We're going to try to honor the Lord the way we run the program. We're not perfect, and we're not going to shove a Bible down anybody's throat, but we're going to run our program with those values and try to honor the Lord the way we work. And I believe when you do things like that, good things happen for you. So those kids can see that. It's real. I'm proud of my staff because they honor uh, the way we want to run this program, which is investing in these guys. Don't worry about, you know, you can't worry about the coaching business, what your next job is and how much money you're making and all that. Just go invest in people and all those other things take care of themselves. You know, and uh, our kids have responded to that. And if they didn't, a lot of, you know, there were some of them that found an exit ramp, and that's okay. You have to have some addition by subtraction. But the guys we have in our program right now, some of which were here when I got here, some of which we've added. They have gelled together, and they're doing an outstanding job, and they know that this coaching staff cares about them, and this coaching staff wants to put them in situations where they can be successful. So uh, that's kind of our three pillars are love, compete, and believe. That's, that's what we build our program on. Um, and uh, we sprinkle that on our guys on a daily basis, and uh, I know it works. It's worked before for us, and, and uh, when you're sincerely caring about kids, man, they go play hard for you. Um, so we got a lot of work to do. Blue hadn't totally dried, but I like where we are and I like where we're headed. Drew Cronick, head football coach at Mercer, joining us here on Three and Out. And, and coach, uh, you mentioned the game this weekend for the conference championship. A, a young program for Mercer, relatively. You, as you said, kind of the, the the strangest of circumstances that anybody could possibly go through taking over a program when when COVID happens. But a program still trying to uh, to rise up. How do you prepare your kids for? what Saturday is. It's a it's a conference championship. I don't know how many kids on your roster have been a part of that at the collegiate level. How do you kind of prepare mentally to uh, to get ready to do that and say there's still more football if we can take care of business here on on Saturday? Well, our kids understand the the you know what it means. You know, my job is to get us to go play at the very highest level we can every single Saturday. Consistently be the best we can be, prepare for each team the same way and worry about us. Okay, that's what we had to worry about as the Mercer Bears. Now, we got to understand what East Tennessee is doing schematically and who their players are and all those kind of things. That's part of the strategy of the game. But really what it boils down to is us executing, us being the best. That gives us the best opportunity to win. Okay, and if we go do that and we, and we don't end up on the right side of the scoreboard, I can live with that. And our kids, you know, and, and our, our kids can live with that. But uh, the main thing for us is being the very best we can be on a daily basis and then on Saturday – you go in there with a lot of confidence because you feel like you're prepared and you feel like you're ready to go go play your best game. Drew Cronick, head football coach at Mercer University, our guest here on 3 and Out. Coach, we appreciate the time. Best of luck to you guys coming up this weekend. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate it. Drew Cronick, our guest here on uh, 3 and Out as Mercer uh, in the, I guess, the five, she's not really a championship game, but the de facto championship game page. Uh, at ESPN Coastal there on YouTube. Get a podcast version of the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify's there every single day. You can catch all of 3 and Out right there. But a uh, lot to come uh, here this week as we get into another week of college football. Of course, you got the NBA going uh, as well. you got Hawks and Celtics coming up tonight, 7.30. We'll have that for you. Uh, BJ and Ben as the Hawks try to uh, get themselves turned around from a slow start. Yeah, a little bit of a slow start. I mean, when you had the run like the Hawks had last season, you were going to enter this season with high expectations. And through 15 games, you have not met those expectations. But still very, very early in the season, I think the Hawks are going to be fine. Uh, Still a very talented team. And again, much like baseball, and Kevin, you had to tell me early in the Brave season, look, 
when you're talking about a couple of weeks, that's way too early to draw any conclusions. And uh, I, I think for Atlanta, you know, defensive consistency, that continues to be, be key. And sometimes that can be hard to, hard to establish early in an NBA season. I think you look at the guys after Trey Young and John Collins, and maybe you want a little more production from John Collins too, but probably more consistency from Bogdan Bogdanovich Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, those guys. But Trey's at, what, 26 and almost 10. So he's doing Trey Young-type stuff. But 6-9, and you're fine. Still a ton of basketball to go. But looking forward to tonight's call of uh, Atlanta and the Celtics. Yeah, BJ, I think uh, the one thing that Atlanta Atlanta has to understand is they they prove it to the world that they matter. I mean – only team that took, uh, you know, uh, brought out the best in that Milwaukee Bucks team last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, Nate McMillan, no longer the interim. You are the head coach now. We want to see how good you are from game one up, you know, to the, to the end of the season. But this is the same Hawks team that beat Milwaukee, 120 to 20, like a couple of games ago. So you know what they're capable of. You could beat arguably the best team in basketball. Doesn't mean you're going to have success throughout the season. But it, it shows that, look, man, we, when, you, when, we, uh, when we hone in and get – you know, focus in on what we got to do, the task at hand, and go out there and get it done. But, Kevin, one thing that's plaguing the Hawks again is <clears throat> defense. Like, you guys are going to have to make more of, a, of an effort on the defensive side of the ball because they, don't know, they still don't know how to close out games. They still ain't getting rebounds. They still ain't boxing out. It comes down to the fundamentals. If, if Atlanta can focus on the fundamentals late in games because they got the superstar check and, uh, you know, uh, you know Trey Young. I mean, you got a team in Atlanta that's – a young team is still uh, going to go out there and scratch and claw, but you can't beat Milwaukee and lay an egg, you know, in, in teams that you, you know are better than on paper. So yes, BJ, it is early in the season, but the but the Eastern Conference, I mean, it might be the better conference this year. We were talking about the East versus the Western. The Hawks gonna find a way to, uh, to to make it more competitive because you don't want to look up and next thing you know, you know, you nine ten games, you know, out. Uh, you know, with a, with a, with a lot of the season left to go, but yes, six and nine, still a lot of games to go. But the, the fact that you have already beaten the Bucks shows that you can compete with quote some of the best teams in the league. Yeah, and again, you're getting close to that uh, that quarter pole of the season. Uh, a couple more games, and you'll be at 20 games in already. So that uh, the first quarter of the NBA season kind of flies by while you're still looking at football and uh, all the things that are going on there, but uh, already getting close to about 25% of the way into it here in the young season. We've got more for you the rest of this week as we lead you up to a big weekend of college football, high school football, into uh, round two of the state playoffs. Everybody gets to play on Friday uh, this week, so that's a uh, big plus. We'll have that uh, for you as well. This is 3 and Out. We'll see you tomorrow all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.